Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by an expert panel of uh, speakers who will share their knowledge and experience on how corporates can transform their supply chain to be more resilient. So firstly, we have Michael Hardwick. He's the Chief Financial Officer of Australian fashion and lifestyle retailer Cotton On. Next, we have Stephen Ashworth, Managing Director, Hutchison Ports for Thailand and Southeast Asia. Next, we have Peter Liddell, Global Operations Center of Excellence Lead at Partner at KPMG. Last but definitely not the least, we have Ian Tandy, our regional co-head of global trade and receivers finance, Asia Pacific in HSBC. So gentlemen, thank you very much for being here today and welcome to the session. So let's get started. Peter, if I may come to you first, please. Considering the current context in Asia, what are the key regional trends in global sourcing that you're seeing? Thanks, Asanka. There's certainly a few, and I'm sure most people are experiencing inflationary headwinds and the associated economic challenges that are influencing some of the you know, demand and customer order decisions and the variation, as well as manufacturing challenges. So there's definitely a need, and we're seeing to manage supply chain costs and inventory across all nodes in the supply chain. But some of the big trends that are really starting to influence, so there is a lot of skepticism around trade and the ability to access key materials. So influencing sourcing decisions, obviously what happened recently with the US and China and the the ban on semiconductor technology is having a huge impact downstream on manufacturing. So we're starting to see a lot of alternative sourcing, a lot of alternative supplier strategies happening. Interesting on the manufacturing shifts, we just released a paper only in March that tracks from 2018 to 2023, 132 organizations that moved or in the process of shifting manufacturing out of China, so part of their China plus one strategy. Now, yes, geopolitical issues are certainly driving those. Critical shortage of raw materials is having a huge impact on supply chains right now. And I give you an example, you know, I mentioned semiconductor chips. That's actually starting to impact manufacturing capacity. In fact, the uh, the chip manufacturers themselves are struggling to access enough chips to manufacture as well. So we're starting to see a number of industries not being able to access machinery and equipment, new materials, replacement assets, critical raw materials. So it's having quite a, a profound impact. And again, this whole ESG and supply chains have a huge impact on environmental and also social. So absolutely, we're starting to see a real shift and the design of future supply chains as they start to reduce carbon emissions. They start to focus on high energy manufacturing, other sites, reduce waste and plastic, but also focus on those social issues around human rights and modern slavery. They're just a few of the trends, Asanka. Okay. Thank you, Peter. Michael, if I may come to you next. As you know, many businesses are rationalizing the number of supply chain partners. Cottonon is one of the largest global apparel retailers with presence in 22 markets. But if you really look at it, your supplier base is relatively small, say around 20 suppliers are producing about 60% of your products. Can you take us through what's driving these decisions? And secondly, we see that approximately 80% of your suppliers are from China. Can you please elaborate as to how you're looking to diversify this? Sure, and thanks, Asaka. 
I guess there's two real strategies that we're driving here simultaneously. I think one was a consolidation of our supply base that started back in around 2016 for us. And that supply base today represents about half the size as it was back in 2016, which was a really deliberate decision that we made, one, to make ourselves more important to our suppliers that we see as critical partners you know, of our business, and also an opportunity for us to invest more time with our suppliers and our suppliers you know, with us in that relationship as well, rather than diluting it across a, a much wider base. So that gave us the ability to spend more time with each of them to be able to work through planning and opportunities with a more narrower focus than what we've done before, but also working with them across things such as sustainability plans and, quite frankly, supplier financing. At the same time that we were consolidating, we were also going through a period of diversification of our supply chain you know, based on origin. And historically, since the beginning of 1991, we've always had a, a very high concentration within China of our manufacturing base. So commencing a little bit later than the 2016 consolidation plan, we also introduced a strategy to diversify and have a more balanced supply base across ASEAN rather than just focus within China as well, making sure that the same product could be made in multiple suppliers across multiple geographies or countries so that to ensure consistency in supply base, which served us really well as a strategy particularly as we entered, you know, the COVID world as well. So we continue to see further rebalancing outside of China and opportunities to create a more diversified supply chain than we even have today. And that includes the investment that we've seen some of our Chinese suppliers make outside as well. So, you know, it's that multiple strategy approach that we have to both diversification of the supply chain as well as consolidation of the number of suppliers that we have so the first question I would like to ask from Ian, what is HSBC's outlook on supply chains, especially in Asia, in the next 12 to 18 months? Thanks, Asanka. The growth in Asia is set to continue. That is our view. The dynamism of the marketplace, its natural place in the global economy looks only positive from where we're sitting. And the extent of the way that the companies are considering that across their supply chain, the way they're cutting things down, points to only one thing. I can only predict growth across the Asian and the ASEAN markets. So maybe turning next to Stephen, Hutchison Ports has a comprehensive network with 54 ports in 25 countries worldwide. From logistics sector perspective, what do you see as the major logistical challenges faced by buyers and suppliers in supply chain management? And the second part of the question is, how do you see the investments in advanced technology contributing to increasing efficiency on port operation? Thank you, Asanka. And if you think of the supply chain as in its entirety as from raw material ordering all the way to delivery of the product to the consumer, we're probably only a, a very small part of that. And yet we're a very critical part in that 80% of the world's trade is currently now moving by sea. So you can imagine if there are any bottlenecks in the port sector, then that could be quite a serious impact 
on the entire supply chain. And this is what we found during COVID was a huge headache for us in 2021 into the beginning of 2022, really the perfect storm of a surge in consumer demand. In addition to that on the supply side, COVID restrictions in places like Thailand, where I'm based, meant that at any one point in time, large chunks of our workforce were unable to go to work. And during that period, there was significant evidence of, if you may, a supply chain shift from China into places like Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia to an extent, Vietnam for sure, where the, I think companies were already reshoring or nearshoring where they could to try and mitigate the issues from China being really under a very severe lockdown protocol. So during that time, we were already looking at technology as a way forward. But I think the whole COVID experience has really speeded up that uh, aspect of, uh, of the way we're developing our ports uh, here in Thailand. We've already moved towards first generation autonomous or driverless trucks. But these now are being run out at a much faster pace uh, than we previously envisaged, as a, and a lot of it's to do with actually the COVID experience. And then all our cranes, these ones are all what we call remote control. They do require some sort of manual inter interface, but they require less people than the conventional crane where you have to go up into the cabin uh, and operate these manually. And then there's a lot of digitization going on in our both our port processes um, and also blockchain, the way we interface with, for example, the shipping lines in terms of documentation. That's also now being run out at a much a quicker pace than it was before. So we do see technology as a very major way forward, at least for the port sector, I guess, for much of the supply line going forward to mitigate against future supply chain disruptions. Thank you, Stephen. So we just heard from our clients their perspective in terms of managing supply chains in the new normal. So Ian, how has HSBC's financing solutions evolved over the years to meet client-specific situations? And how are we supporting them in managing their supply chain network? Asanka, thank you so much. As you know, as trade bankers, we've had to be more proactive as supply chains have evolved. We recognize the increased importance of supply chains. Now, traditional financing solutions tended to be buyer-led or bilateral. And this remains popular today with our clients, but we're increasingly talking to our customers about how they can make the financial supply chain more effective, rewarding suppliers and reducing the time from shipment to cash. Now, this requires from the bankers a more comprehensive review of the individual customer's needs. In effect, the solution becomes more tailored and works coherently and in support of the supply chain aims of the individual customers. Supply chain finance is increasingly popular, and we're looking to roll out integrated working capital features for critical suppliers, which effectively provides working capital ahead of the shipment, securing supply and helping the customers to look after their best suppliers. Now, of course, we heard there, digitization and technology has had a huge part to play in all of our lives. And we've enhanced our digital platforms, our interfaces to make it easier for our customers and their suppliers to access our systems and also to create greater visibility and hopefully increased cash generation across the supply chain cycle. OK, thank you. And I definitely agree with you that we need to stay close to our clients so that, you know, we better understand the requirements on supply side. So moving on, next question is to Peter. I know many businesses are looking to diversify and pivot their supply chain to ASEAN countries. What's your view on the trend? And secondly, how are companies in the region thinking about risk and risk management? Yeah, Sankar, and, and thank you. And, and look, definitely diversification is definitely happening. We've seen quite a significant number moved or moving, and the expectation is there still will be a lot. Interestingly, statistics show us that a third have shifted to Vietnam. 
and another third have moved to you know India, Taiwan, and Thailand. With the rest, you know, spread across the rest of, of ASEAN. So it's definitely a trend in terms of those changes and the challenges that they represent. One of the big things that we call out a lot is that, particularly with nearshoring, friendshoring, changing in procurement strategies, bringing in new suppliers into the ecosystem. We're asking clients to be vigilant and do proper due diligence because quite often we find these new third parties are actually creating you know, cyber and other risks. So be vigilant and do the proper due diligence around new suppliers before you onboard them. But what I'd share with you, so in addition to sort of new third party risk management, is there will be some flow on effects to some of these issues. So you know, as you start to shift manufacturing, it does have an impact on how supply chains flow. And particularly if you're moving products across different borders. We're finding that a lot of organizations, a lot of clients haven't updated their transport documentation. So when goods are getting to border, they're not passing the particular audits they need to. So quite often that can delay goods flowing into, into countries. So getting the tax and associated transport documentation done as well. And then of course, you know, there is some move from, you know, just in time to just in case. And again, being vigilant around managing inventory across all nodes within the supply chain, but also the associated costs as products move from node to node. So they would be the key risks that organizations need to be aware of, given all the changes that are happening to supply chains right now. Thank you, Peter. Michael, as a global retailer, it is important to increase transparency and traceability at all levels of the supply chain. Can you take us through how you're managing this currently? And what are the benefits from your perspective? Yeah, sure. Look, as a retailer, it's certainly our responsibility to understand who makes our products and how they're made at all levels of our supply chain. So we know there's certainly an increasing customer demand, you know, for this. And so we also know that this movement is going to continue to grow. This isn't a moment in time. This is something that will continue into the future. So really our key shift in mindset is understanding that what can't be seen can't be measured. So a key benefit of the work that we do around transparency and traceability is increased visibility and working with our partners, uh, suppliers to shift from more of a compliance-based to a performance-based attitude, giving us greater ability to drive innovation and make positive impact together rather than separately. And then from a transparency perspective, we were reasonably early in this journey, have been transparent publicly you know, in the market since around 2015 in terms of the suppliers that we use, which you know we continue to, to update and disclose today, and making sure that the rest of our remediation, our auditing, our partnership plans are all built into our supplier scorecard so that can continue to reward high-performing suppliers with greater volumes into the future where we are supported with like-minded partners in this space as well. Thank you, Michael. Stephen, maybe if I can come to you next. I noticed that Hutchison Ports is moving to more sustainable port operations. What's your view on sustainable port development? And how can it help to reduce supply chain resistance in the future? Yeah, I mean, if you're not on the sustainability path at this time, then you've really got to get moving. And I think ultimately for us, I mentioned automation just now, that's an important aspect of it. But we are obviously moving towards being a lower carbon, well, lower in emissions anyway, emitting company going forward and moving towards net zero in 2050 by electrifying as much of our equipment as possible. Our cranes, our, our trucks in particular, is an important aspect of our program going forward in order to mitigate 
against climate change. We're a very external type company in the sense that we can't work from home. A large proportion of our workforce work outside in the yard. And an example of uh, climate change being a risk to us is here in Thailand, for example, temperatures this summer, we're now moving into the rainy monsoon season here, hit an effect of 50 degrees in the yard. Never before has such a temperature reading been recorded and as an aspect of climate change being a risk to our, our business. So then the final thing is uh, customers. Your scope three emissions, our customers are the major shipping lines of the world like Maersk. They are beginning to ask us as part of their terminal selection uh, process, you know, what our sustainability agenda is. And we've got to tick a few boxes in their cases uh, before they would consider us to be a terminal partner in a particular market. Okay. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. So next question to Michael. Cotton On Group has set the goals to be carbon neutral by 2030. For example, you're trialing new recycled materials so that you can accelerate closing the loop throughout the entire supply chain. Can you tell us more about this progress so far and how is the biosupply partnership supporting this? Yeah, sure. Again, a topic that's very passionate both for our customers but also for our team members. So what can't be seen can't be measured. We have undertaken our carbon emissions footprint back in 2019 and measure that annually to see progress against the various initiatives that we have underway. The carbon neutrality goal for 2030 was really driven around scope one and scope two emissions, which were a relatively small portion of our total emissions across the group, but notwithstanding have been able to reduce our total emissions by 26% since 2019 through a variety of initiatives, both on the controllables and working with our partners on the scope three emissions as well. So again, this is something that we factor very prominently into our supplier scorecard in terms of how we're assessing and rewarding performance with our suppliers as well. So it's not just from a product quality and pricing and partnership conversation, but more to see the investment that they're making in sustainability initiatives and innovation through their business as well. But also working in partnership with our designers and buyers in terms of smart decisions that can be made at a product level, you know, using sustainability elements and attributes that can be made on a daily basis that on an individual item may not feel it's contributing much, but on the aggregate with like-minded, you know, buyers across all of our business, we've certainly noticed the impact that collectively they've bought. Thank you, Michael. Before we close, can I maybe ask one parting thought from everyone? Could you please summarize in one or two sentences what you see as the future of supply chains and what is the key to building a truly resilient supply chain that can withstand future shocks? Maybe can I ask Stephen to go first, please? I guess circular supply chains comes to mind. It's going to be something of the future. AI, technology are going to be important aspects of supply chains going forward. And I think the key to all this is putting it all together. Information, blockchain springs to mind. Too much information sometimes is, is no good, but trying to put this so that it's easy to understand for everybody in a linked up way is probably the, the best way forward. Thank you. Michael, if I can ask you to go next. I think that... We're certainly entering interesting times in some jurisdictions around the world. Those challenges have already, you know, commenced 12 months ago or so. So I think that actually 
thought out already that the strength of a relationship with our partners, the need to be more agile than ever before, which is strange coming out of the COVID era, but I think even more important now, faced with the economic cycles that most countries you know, are likely to move through here as well. So for us, speed and agility becomes really important to be able to get closer to that point in time that we're seeing trends and demand more visibly than perhaps we've been able to have the luxury of seeing with the, in the past. I think the other benefit for us is viewing our, uh, our stock, our infantry, as a global asset rather than a destination asset, particularly with the benefit of trading in both the northern and southern hemispheres and how we actually take that opportunity to de-risk any stock increases or unhealthy investments in any one jurisdiction as well. So we'll continue to partner closely with our suppliers to get closer to that demand date so that we're actually making those right purchasing decisions, but also using it as a global asset rather than a local one. Thank you. I think we've just come to the end of our time. Thank you very much to the panelists for being here today and for your expert comments. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.